All right, please join me in the reading from Job, chapter 39, verses 1 to 20. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the deer? Can you number the months that they will fulfill? And do you know the time when they give birth, when they crouch to give birth to their offspring and are delivered of their young? Their young ones become strong. They grow up in the open. They go forth and do not return. Who has let the wild ass go free? Who has loosed the bonds of the swift ass to which I have given the step for its home, the salt land for its dwelling place? It seems the tumult of the city. It does, let's do it this way. It scorns the tumult of the city. It does not hear the shouts of the driver. It ranges the mountains as its pasture and it searches after every green thing. Is the wild ox? Willing to serve you? Will it spend the night at your crib? Can you tie it in the furrow of the ropes or will it narrow the valleys after you? Will you depend on it because its strength is great and will you hand over your labor to it? Do you have faith in it that it will return and bring your grain to your threshing floor? The ostrich's wings flap wildly through its Pinions lack of plumage, for, its leave, for it leaves its eggs to the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot may crush them and that a wild animal may trample those eggs. It deals cruelly with its young as if they were not its own. Though its labor should be in vain, yet it has no fear, because God has made it forget wisdom and given it no share in understanding. When the ostrich spreads its plumes aloft, it laughs at the horse and its rider. Do you give the horse its might? Do you clothe its neck with mane? Do you make it leap like the locust? Its majestic snorting is terrible. For the word of God, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, you've given us an image of all of the details you know about us, about creation, about animals, details that we learn from you. Open our minds to how majestic and knowing you are, every detail, and remind us of your love for each one of us, as you know, our details. Amen. So today is the final in, in a wee month-long series on the seasons of creations as we end up with animals. You've heard the reading from Job continued, but I would like to start back with the opening scripture I shared with you from Isaiah, because the picture on your bulletin cover, and the one that was on the sermon slide of the Peaceable Kingdom by Edward Hicks is a, a wonderful image of the wolf lying down with the lamb. Now, these are opponents 
Lambs and wolves don't play together. The young goat and the calf together. The lion and the calf. The predator and the prey. The passage describing the peaceable kingdom that will come when the Messiah comes. Now, uh, Isaiah was looking far into the future because the people of Isaiah in his time were going to face deep trouble. And with Isaiah prophesying it, they knew it was going to happen, but they just wanted to reject it. And Isaiah wanted them to look further into the future. This image was painted and then popularized by a Quaker preacher artist Edward Hicks. He was born in Bucks County, Pennsylvania in 1780. He painted seven, excuse me, 62 peaceable kingdom paintings. The same idea with different details in each one of the 62 paintings during his career. The predators and the prey lying down together in harmony not one taking the other's place, but one recognizing the other, and there's no hostility, a harmony. And in the midst is of this one, both on your bulletin cover and the one that we saw for the sermon slide, in the midst is a, a little rosy-cheeked child, the Christ child leading them. Now, if you think of a young, vulnerable child, maybe a four-year-old, are they the ones that lead the herds? No. But in God's peaceable kingdom, they are looking forward. Here's your reality, but also looking forward. Now the picture on your bulletin cover is different than the one that we showed for the sermon slide because I wanted to illustrate the differences. They're not huge, but you really do need to pay attention to the nuances to get the variation on how is harmony achieved. It's incredibly difficult. The animal kingdom lives in a life balance between predator and prey, as I said, and knows that eventually, because there is a God of creation, there shall be a mutuality, whether it's practiced now or not. And it seems that we people are kind of the last ones to catch on to this mutuality. So if you watch two cats coming together, they're going to discern, are we going to be friends or are we not going to be friends? We do that as well. But the time of peace will remove the discernment as both recognize we are made in the image of God. And that's all that is necessary because we were called good. Now back to Hicks. He struggled to reconcile within himself his love of painting and the simplicity that his Quaker faith required. His paintings were not appreciated by his community. He, but he was passionate about his faith, so continued painting even as he became a minister within the Society of Friends. And his paintings show his yearning for unity and peace, especially in light of the 1827 schism within the Society of Friends. And is there a church alive that hasn't faced differences that have created new communities? To which I applaud. Let the churches continue 
Even if we must dance apart for a wee while, we still worship God, the creator of the universe. So to represent the schism that tore his heart from his society of friends, and they chose this name for their church because that's how they understood and do understand themselves to be. They are meetings of friends talking and praying about God. So the picture that you have on your bulletin will show that there's a a gap between two, what look I always thought were two lands, but in fact, they are two tree stumps. The animals on one side and on the other side, sometimes there are people, there are conquerors, there are victims. And the animals on the other side, with no conqueror, no victim. And they're stumps, tree stumps, also from Isaiah, I think the first verse, yes, the first verse of chapter 11. Out of the tree shall come a stump, the stump of Jesse, and out of the stumps comes new shoots, new growth, the tree can regenerate. And this is how Hicks presents his peaceable kingdom. You people have caused a chasm here. But God can bring something out of a stump. He is celebrating present and future. As animals from Isaiah and from his painting are representing the characteristics, or not representing, are challenging the characteristics of people at odds with each other on one side of the stump while the animals are at peace with one another. Now that brings me, this brings me back to Job. And Lee, thank you for just jumping in because this is a four chapter scenario from God asking basically rhetorical questions of Job. Where were you when? Well, of course, Job, who represents all of humanity, not just a particular person. Job understands this overwhelming display of a reminder that we may have our issues, we may have our concerns, we may want something different, yet God is still acting with us today. The relationship between God and creation becomes the example of there's so much going on beyond what you can see. And our ancient under, uh, ancestors understood this. Our ancestors in the faith understood that God says this, we are experiencing that, there's a gap, how are we going to get forward? And they do, and they did, and they share their stories with us through our scripture. So God says, Job, did you give strength to the horse? Did you clothe its neck with a mane? cause the horse to leap at locust, or like a locust, his majestic snorting of fright? I don't know about you, but when I hear a snort from a horse, I take heed, because what if the horse is saying, I think I'm gonna come and talk to you right now, and maybe I don't want that, that majestic snort. There's something about God's speech to Job, to us. Remember, Job represents humanity, particularly humanity that suffers. Sure, Job could also be a person, but each person represents other people. And at first glance, because God is kind of overwhelming Job with this boatload of what Job cannot do, we might ignore 
any thought of self-sufficiency. Because if you enter into the corral with these horses who have majestic snorting, you might not think self-sufficiency is immediately in your mind. Think again. In the story of Job, Job has been asking for 40, 38 chapters, 36 chapters, for an explanation from God, why am I suffering? What have I done wrong? And there is usually no answer for suffering on a large scale. So those who have experienced Hurricane Fiona and are in the path of Hurricane Ian, Ian, Ian if it becomes a hurricane, may be, set, may be thinking, why are we, why did this happen to us? What did we do wrong? They did nothing wrong. There's a climate pattern. God is saying there is more. And no, you can't always understand, but you can keep going on. So Job hears vast creation. He hears intimate details from these multiple chapters or four chapters of these intimate details. Then Job speaks a second time. And this always catches me. I can just imagine he's on his knees, hands in the air, head bowed and says, my ears had heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. There's knowing and there's knowing. You will not hear this in the commentaries about Job, but I would like to take a little turn here and consider Jordan June's poem, We Are the Ones We Are Waiting For, which she gave to the United Nations about the 40,000 South African women who protested apartheid in 1954, you do the math. There's the protest, 1954, 40,000 women. And when was apartheid destroyed? There's a little bit of waiting here. And it was because of them that the protests started, that permission was given, say no to this unjust system. The poem, that follows the pounding footsteps on fallow land into new dust of both specific people, South Africans, and then this has been picked up by other people who felt too that they have been walked on. African, African American communities suppressed in the 50s, the 60s, today. June's poem of steps taken, a movement begun that did not see the results because their lifespan had ended. Yet we, looking through history, do see the results. And therefore, June's words, we are the ones we are waiting, we have been waiting for. Her words speak not just to the present, but into the future. Things might be hard now. There might be a transition now. But we are the ones we have been waiting for. To the 40,000 protesting women in South Africa who did not see the end of apartheid, to the millions who protested during the civil rights for an end of racism in a land of the free, that is still a struggle that is still continuing. To those here today, 
members of this church who are looking for a new pastor in a situation none of you wanted to be in. You can say, like Job, my ears had heard about you, God, but now, in this time of trial, now, gentle God of might, my eye, now my eyes can see you. And if I may borrow these beautiful words of June Jordan, again, they are not mine, they belong to others, but they speak of trauma and future coming together. We are the ones we have been waiting for. Now on October 9, next month, Reverend Floyd Tompkins will be preaching on these words. Come and listen to him, and I dare not say more, other than reminding you to not discount the power of God working through you, through influence, through your presence, through your thoughts, through your prayers, even as you are looking to the future. Now, you know Alice Walker. She too used these words from June Jordan's poem. She wrote a book by this title, We Are the Ones We Have Been Waiting For. In it is her collection of lectures that she had been given, uh, that she had given many different places. It, to each lecture, she adds a little commentary. Her lectures were on social justice, racial justice, ecological justice. She writes, we are the ones we've been waiting for because we are able to see what is happening with a much greater awareness than our parents and our grandparents and our ancestors could see. Parents, grandparents, ancestors knew that you would carry on. Alice Walker shared many resources, one of which was a well-known one which I think bears repeating here. A message from the elders of the Hopi nation of Oribai, Arizona, and I don't believe I said that correctly at all. A people of deep wisdom and a long, beautiful poem, and the whole message is stunning and you should read it, but it ends with this. Gather yourselves. Banish the word struggle. From your attitude, banish the word struggle from your attitude and from your vocabulary. All that you do now must be done in a sacred manner and in celebration. And it ends, quoting June, we are the ones we are waiting for. Grief is grief, this is me, not the quote. But knowing that you are the ones to make a difference brings momentum to your work and it makes it easier. With resilience to carry on the mission of Christ that you confessed during our confession through your church. Now as you ponder these stories, I'd like to give you some more examples. You know Bill McKibben. You have seen and heard him speak here, but do you know of his spouse, Sue Halpern? Have you read her book, 
a dog walks into a nursing home. I recommend it. I have a copy if you'd like to borrow it. It's highly marked up. It is a story about her dog, Pransky, and her frustrated efforts of bringing Pransky through therapy dog training, which Pransky kind of sort of didn't think was quite like being at home. As you know, therapy dogs are an official line of service dogs. They must be certified by passing very specific tests the simple things, don't eat food off of the floor, play nicely with other dogs, approach a person only when invited, et cetera, et cetera. Sue's dog, Pransky, seemed destined to be a marvelous pet, but not a therapy dog. She failed the test a couple of times. There was only one opportunity left. But alas, Pransky was certified and with Sue was able to offer therapy dog services at their local nursing home. The comfort and encouragement of touching a dog. Who has a bear here? You have bears over there. Yay! The comfort, I, animals are absolutely spectacular. The comfort and encouragement of touching animals allows people to interact with gentleness. The gentleness that Edward Hicks put into his painting. Loving an animal and being loved in return reminds you that you are of value no matter your physical, emotional, or cognitive level. All right, let's get back to Pransky. Pransky had a job. She and Sue walked into a nursing home on duty. There are many fun stories in her book, all of which are worthy of sharing, but my favorite is when Pransky did the absolute forbidden. She walked into a room uninvited, uninstructed and followed by a very unhappy Sue. Residents were supposed to sign up for therapy dogs and the therapy dogs may not go into a room that has not been given prior permission for the dog. So Sue's trying desperately to pull Pransky back out of this room and Pransky will have none of it, pulls out of Sue's hand, not only approaches the bed, but Sue happens to know that this room was not supposed to have a therapy animal because the person did not talk. So the nurses had said, no, do not enter this room. So Sue's looking over her shoulder, hoping nobody gets her in trouble and she therefore loses her job, follows Pransky who does the second forbidden. Not only does Pransky enter this room, but puts her paws up on top of this bed and leans in. And Sue comes over and Pransky will not be pulled off. So Sue gets close to the collar, thereby getting close to the woman. And she, Sue, can hear what Pransky heard all along. The woman is speaking, responding to the dog. Speaking in such a very, very low volume that people would not have assumed that she was speaking at all because people would walk in and do things but you had to be right there. And Sue immediately, A, thanked her dog, B, went out and told the nurses she speaks. You need to listen to her. Pransky already knew what was at work and nobody else did. You are the ones we have been waiting for. I have other stories, but I've, I've overdone my limit. Animals speaking to our future. You were asked to bring pictures 
or your animal, and I don't see any live animals, do I? No, but they've, but they've been here. Thank you, Cindy, for yours. Think in your mind or look at the picture of your animal on your phone or remember a positive time. An animal can sometimes see into a future that we cannot conceive because our anxieties get in the way. Well, animals aren't too fond of dealing with anxieties. They like to pass them right by, which is why they are a blessing. Now hold your animal in your heart and let's pray a blessing over our animals. Creator of animals large and small, we ask your blessing to be upon the animals we bring before you. Pets, friends, working animals, wild animals, may they be blessed, not for our sakes, but for the purposes you give them on behalf of your creation. And all of God's people said, Amen. <laughs>